I came that they may have life and have it among them. Let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. We're going to win by being the people that other people want to be around. Society wants guys who have an answer, guys who are committed, men who have a plan to make things better and go out and do it. You are listening to Night Vision. Hello and welcome to Night Vision, a multi-platform audio magazine presented by the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus designed to enrich, enlighten, educate, and entertain. Today's show is all about babies, bikes, and beatification. First, Scott Schutte catches up with the immediate past state deputy of the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus, Paul Zielinski, as he looks back over the last two years. Then we head to the 7th Annual Statewide Biking for Babies Ride, with proceeds going to fund life-saving ultrasound machines for Indiana women's centers in need. And finally, we continue to learn more about the process as our founder continues down the road to beatification. And now, a leader looks back. Scott Schutte spoke with Paul Zielinski as he reflects on his time as state deputy. Good afternoon, everybody. This is uh, Scott Schutte. I am joined today with our immediate past state deputy, Paul Zielinski. Paul, welcome to the radio show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I wanted to talk today about your term as state deputy, kind of review the highlights, some of the challenges, and then maybe get your thoughts on where you think we as the Indiana State Knights of Columbus should be headed in the future. The key mission of the Knights of Columbus is to fulfill the vision of Father McGivney, our founder, you know, and really... Uh, the simplest way to state it is we're supposed to be saving lives and changing lives. And that's what we do as Knights of Columbus. And I think we were successful over the last two years in doing that. We certainly had some challenges. Certainly no one expected a pandemic. You know, that was, that was a major upheaval of all of our council activities. But a lot of good work was done over the last uh, two years. Some of the biggest areas in saving lives has been our pro-life work. Uh, the Knights have always been a great pro-life organization, and supporting life from uh, from conception until natural death. And really uh, doing that and helping helping women, helping families, uh, helping children. Our ultrasound initiative over the last two years, we purchased, working with Supreme, our Supreme Council, 10 ultrasound machines that are in place across Indiana. We have a total of about 40 today uh, that are saving, saving lives. Uh, it's great the things that we're doing with children after they're born, especially with our working with the Jabal Children's Services in Terre Haute. You know, this is where uh, children with all kinds of issues are placed there. Children have have psychological issues uh, due to abuse or other issues. They have autism spectrum. They have all kinds of problems they're dealing with. Uh, Today we have over 100 children in Terre Haute. They're being cared for at the Jabal Children's Services. And those children are coming out of the ball a little bit better, a little more able to deal with the world uh, than when they went into it. So they were changing lives. And we're, we're looking after these children that society, in a lot of ways, doesn't want to have anything to do with anymore. You know? So that's been great. Uh, our work with another part of society uh, that's been like society lets you forget about is our, uh, our population with special needs, our Special Olympians, our Special Olympics Indiana. Great group of people. A lot of fun to work with, 
the Knights have been supporting uh, Special Olympics Indiana uh, consistently for many years uh, since it was founded by uh, uh, Eunice Kennedy Shriver in the 60s. The Knights have been supporting uh, Special Olympics, and uh, we, we continue to do that. Uh, this year, because of the pandemic, we couldn't be at the summer games like we normally are at, but we still supported our Olympians with uh, cash contributions to help offset some of their costs. We've been doing a lot of good work in, in, in saving lives and changing lives. Well, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know, uh, you know, Special Olympics has been a big part for me since I started there as a Special Olympics chairman a few years back. And, you know, we're still doing the plane pull here in October. Uh, we had a great number of guys that showed up for the polar plunge back in February. Fortunately, we got that in before the pandemic shut everything down. And, you know, I still see Tootsie Roll money rolling in. Uh, so that's, that's always a good thing. Granted, it's not what it has been with, with not being able to stand out on the corner and, or at the ch- front of the church, but it's good to see that that's continuing on. And I know we've had some other programs that have gone well. Uh, the seminarians, we've made sure that they've gotten their funding each year. So that's wonderful. Yeah, um, that's very true. The seminarians have been, uh, it's been great to work with them and get to know a few of the seminarians at different events, uh, like the events that have been held at Simon Brute, the minor seminary in Indianapolis. Wow, that's been wonderful. We have a great group of men coming on to decrease. That's good. Now, we've also been down to Minerid for some of our planning meetings with the state officers and the state family. So we've gotten to see that seminary as well, which was is kind of nice. And that was something you instituted. I really liked going there down there for that. Not not just the fact that it was peaceful, because they, they kind of keep it that way, but, but the whole prayerful aspect of it, um, that was kind of fun. It's a and great then, there. Oh, definitely, definitely. And then you also brought the state family out to Gibalt and St. Mary's of the Woods for some of the leadership meetings to make sure that the guys were aware of what we do at Gibalt. Um, and then also to bring that religious aspect through Mother Garen's college. Right. As it were. right. Yeah, uh, state deputy a few years ago, uh, uh, Tom Gallick, he established uh, St. Mother Theodore Garen as our patron saint for the Indiana to Columbus. It was great to have all of our leaders out to uh, St. Mary's of the Woods and visit the shrine of St. Mother Theodore Garen. Definitely. Now, I don't know if people know this or not, but as the immediate past state deputy, you become the chairman of the board for uh, the Gibalt School. So are you looking forward to that challenge? Yes, I am. It's it's an exciting time to be uh, involved with Gibalt, and, and it's, it's not an automatic. The board actually... Uh, can choose anyone they want to be the chairman. And I was very fortunate that the board, and very thankful to the board for, for selecting me to be the chairman. The, uh, the exciting time is uh, Gibalt is uh, 99 years old this year. Uh, so next year is going to be a big uh, 100th uh, anniversary for Gibalt. And that's something we're all getting excited about. That'll be in October next year. And we, uh, when, when the Knights of Columbus founded the Gibalt School in 1921, we had a great celebration in Terre Haute where our Supreme Knight, our international head of the organization, was there for that. We hope to have him at Terre Haute next year for the uh, 100th anniversary. We had the bishops from Indiana were present. We hope to have those bishops present again for that uh, 100th anniversary. So, yeah, it's a very exciting time to be involved with Gibalt. 
Excellent. So uh, as we wrap up the interview here, wanted to get your thoughts where you foresee the Knights making the best impact here in Indiana over the next few years uh, and, and your hopes uh, for us as, as you move into less of the hands-on and more to the guidance aspect of being a past state deputy. You know, the, the key thing, the, the, where I'd like to see the, the Knights continue to grow, we developed a, uh, a new initiative about faith in action. And it's really about strengthening families, strengthening communities, and really building up our faith as Knights, as Catholic men, and uh, building that up with our families and our parishes and the community. And that's the direction I really want to see the Knights go, to continue building up that relationship with our parish priests, working hand-in-hand with our, our priests in solidarity with our bishops to really build up the, the body of Christ, his church. From looking at the past to looking out for our future generations, more on Biking for Babies. This is Walt Payhan. I'm here with our state deputy, Craig Hannison. So, Craig, you came down for Biking for Babies. Yes, on a glorious weather day. So, Absolutely. So, so what is calling you to come down here and uh, be supportive of this event? I've known Mike uh, Velasco, our state culture light director, since I became a district deputy back in 2008. And he is passionate and, you know, everything he represents with the ultrasound initiative rubbed off on me. And so it's very meaningful. And, and just the support today, you know, we're continually trying to raise funds, you know, $56,000 to help these pregnancy centers get their ultrasound machines that they so desperately need in conjunction with our Supreme Council in uh, matching those donations. We're going we're to get there. But again, it's just the, the level of consciousness bringing this to awareness and visibilities. And it was great to have a priest here on the bike ride from Tennessee. Just goes to show the extended network. Sure. So let's go back for a second. How is the Supreme Council matching the Indiana dollars to bring ultrasounds to Indiana? Uh, Yes. If a uh, council or group of councils can raise at least half, and that's approximately $15,000 to $17,000, and then our Culture Life Director, Mike Velasco, will submit an application to Supreme, and if approved, Supreme will match the other half to get that ultrasound machine for that facility. And that's a dollar for dollar. Right. Excellent. This is Walt Peha, and I am here with Robert Newport, the captain for the Indiana Biking for Babies that are going from Terre Haute to Richmond. So how many miles are you going to be covering during this ride? 168. Can you talk about you being called to this ministry? I would say in my mid-20s, late 20s, I really wasn't even a very strong Catholic. I feel like providentially I just met the right people. I met the right priest. I met the right community. And I think through that, my conscience was formed a lot more on defending life and being around the knights. Started really thinking critically about it. And it's like, yeah, wow, this is one of the most blatant evils maybe ever. And we knew we wanted to do something at modern day, but we didn't know what. And we had just just had this idea, let's get on our bikes and ride. Everybody loves cycling, right? And we'll call it Biking for Babies. And that started seven years ago? Back in 14, 2014. So this is the seventh year. Seventh year you've been doing it. Now, you did something in July. I did. I did. That was... That was intense. Uh, So, lo and behold, there's a national organization called what? Called Biking for Babies. The exact same clever name that we thought we came up with when we started our Indiana ride. But they ride a a few more miles than us. They, They ride about 700 miles. How much do you expect to raise on this trip? 
You know, we, we've already raised 6000 and today probably another 1000 it looks like, just here at this midpoint rally. And I tell you what, our previous best year was 5000 And we would our dream goal would be 17000 and then the Supreme, Knights of Columbus, would match that. Then we could buy a machine. 17000 if it was matched with another seventeen, we could buy a machine. That's what we would love. So how can people make that donation? Yeah, you can go to K of C. 437.com if you can remember that um, K-O-F-C 437.com mm-hmm. and there's instructions boom right there on the homepage to take them to the Biking for Babies national page and where they can follow those instructions and make an online donation and the mailing address if you prefer that is also on the website excellent so, Robert, thank you for your time. We're going to let you get back in, get fueled up, and get back on the road, and we'll be praying for you. Thanks God for bless. the support. Thanks, Walt. Thank you. Well, this is Walt Peha, and I am here with Father Rick Ginter, pastor at uh, Our Lady of Lords. So, you are hosting the Midpoint Rally. Right. So, Father, how did you get involved with Biking for Babies? Biking for Babies with Robert started seven years ago. I was a priest at Terre Haute. His folks knew me and said, our son is doing this. Could you join us for breakfast and then pray them off? So I did. And then I moved to Indianapolis in 2016. And then a couple years after I got here, he called me and said, Hey, do you think Lourdes could be kind of a stopping spot for the biking for babies? I said, sure. He said, we'll even find food for you. And that's how it got started. So based on what you were saying, it, it, it sounds like it was a very easy yes every time you were approached with Biking for Babies. Is it part of a call? What was what was your discernment process to get to yes so quickly? Well, I, I'm very much a priest of the church. And when someone asks for support and something that they're doing for a cause that the church very much believes in, I'm going to be there for them. But secondly, I'm passionate about all life issues, okay, that the whole full breadth. I, I, I grew up with Joseph Cardinal Bernardin's, you know, the, the tapestry and, and the, the golden threads that hold it together and that you can't pull one out and just say, oh, you know, so I'm very much convinced of that. So if someone asked me to you know, come and pray during an execution in Terre Haute, or if it's for, you know, ultrasounds, biking for babies, I'm going to be supportive of it. So in sitting in observation of this for the last seven years, what do you see the fruits of this event being so far? Well, I think the fruits today, it finally reached a point where this group, this group, this group, and this group, they were all standing together, representatives, all interested in the use of ultrasounds and to support care for people uh, in their decision process and, and being there for them to help them see, no, this is a baby. Any parting words you'd like to leave with us, Father? I just pray for the bikers for the rest of their ride. Okay, and we'll be doing that, and we'll be praying for you as you're praying for us, Father. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. So this is Walt Payheim with Griffin Wacker with the National Biking for Babies organization. And so if you can tell us, for this Indiana ride, why you would be here. Really, I also, I just wanted to get some practice riding in, but also I did want to spread the mission of biking for babies, not just as a localized thing, but kind of gain some attention for our national rides as well. And 
you know, those people that are that we meet along the sides of the roads or that we meet at the events like here at Our Lady of Lourdes, encouraging them to come to the National Ride. The more people we have on the National Ride, the more resource centers get help. Great. So where are you from? I am from Mobile, Alabama. Nice. So coming up here and helping out, what kind of example do you think this is going to be setting for other people your age? An actionable one, you know, kind of for people my age, there always seems to be a sentiment of, uh, oh, we should do this, we should do this. But then nothing ever gets done. This is a great example of a way to go out and do something. I mean, I am not a very in-shape person. I am not a cyclist. But here I am, you know. Thank you very much for your time, Griffin. Appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you. As the founder of our order, Father Michael J. McGivney, moves toward beatification later this month, Father Mick continues his conversation with Brian Caulfield. The following interview has been edited down for timing purposes. The full interview can be found at the Night's Vision webpage. Can you tell me, I've looked up a lot of information about the process of beatification and canonization, and I came across Gabriel O'Donnell's name. He was the postulator for Hartford, right? Yes, he was the first postulator for Father McGivney's cause. Okay. And then where did you come in the process? Well, I'm what they call a vice postulator, which is sort of like the vice president. What I do is, you know, I oversee the Father McGivney Guild which was started in 1997 when Father McGivney's cause was opened. And when we get emails, when we get regular mail in, people reporting favors, if I think something is of an extraordinary nature, I'll make record of it and call the person who reported it and try to get a little more information about the nature of the healing, was there medical intervention, how much medical intervention, and kind of make a transcript record of this. And if I still think it would meet the high standards of the Vatican, I would send that to the postulator in Rome, and he would look at it, and he might consult a medical expert who's dealt a lot with the Vatican and the standards that they have and ask that medical expert. And if the answer comes back, yes, this looks promising, I would kind of work to get all the medical records released, I would go to the person who was healed and kind of interview them personally. I would also get any witnesses, the doctors, of course, anyone else, especially. There's just two things, really, that we need to show to the Vatican. One, usually the highest hurdle is that this healing, this event, was medically and scientifically inexplicable. The second hurdle is, can we show that Father McGivney was invoked pretty much exclusively, especially by the person involved and maybe his close family and people like that. One of the things that's fascinating to me is going through this journey, hearing people's stories, learning about Father McGivney maybe more than you knew about him already. Have you found anything for yourself where your connection with Father McGivney has somehow touched you spiritually? Yes, and and that's a good question. And it's something is very deeply personal. I feel really that Father McGivney sometimes is walking with me. It's the kind of relationship that every night should try to develop. But of course, in my position, I have more opportunity thinking about and praying the prayer of canonization each day. My wife knows the prayer by heart as well because we pray it together a lot. I have two teenage boys. They appreciate any time I talk about the cause. They want to hear more. I think it's just a natural thing for people to want to hear about something extraordinary happening in our faith and when I speak about Father McGivney and the favors and the miracles, you just see people's eyes light up. 
we've been getting people signing up for the Father McGivney Guild, which, by the way, is fathermcgivney.org, a free membership. We have 175,000 members. I'm always edified by people writing in, taking the time to write in about they were looking for a job and they prayed to Father McGivney and they got a call that they never thought they would get and now they have a job. Or, or a grandmother saying, I wish my grandchildren would come back to the faith and praying to Father McGivney and the grandchild called and said, Grandma, would you like to go to Mass? These are actual things, and you read them, and you can see the gratitude that people have. And most of them end with, thank you, Father McGivney. It's like they're speaking to him personally. I think we can look at him as someone who's very invested in the lives of people in the parish. He will be the third U.S.-born priest to be beatified but he will be the first truly parish priest born in the U.S. to be beatified. Yeah, you talked about some of the, you didn't use the word, but the natural signs of his heroic virtue and his holiness. You talked about some of the supernatural signs that have been encountered. But of course, there's one supernatural sign that stands above all the rest, and that's, of course, the miracle that led to his beatification. So did you want to tell us anything about that? Yes, and we're calling this a perfect or a very Knights of Columbus miracle. A general agent in Tennessee outside of Nashville, Daniel Shackle and his wife, Michelle, she was pregnant with her 13th child, and they knew it was a little bit of high-risk pregnancy, as they call it. In December of 2014, they had gotten an ultrasound that told them that the child had Down syndrome, and they were perfectly willing to accept that. Daniel actually said, this may be a gift to our family. It will teach our other children to love someone that has no ability to give you anything in return except love. And then a few weeks later, at a later ultrasound, a very serious condition was diagnosed, which is called fetal hydrops. And that's where two or more of the organs of the unborn baby fill with fluid. And this was a early onset of it, which is even more dangerous with the complicating conditions of the Down syndrome and also what they call coarctation of the aorta, which is a narrowing of the aorta, which prohibits or inhibits the flow of blood from the heart to the rest of the body. So they were offered abortion at the secular hospital that they went to in Nashville and, of course, declined. They would take whatever God was giving them. And Michelle was worried about a spontaneous miscarriage. She had a lot of anxiety about this pregnancy. All she wanted was this child to live. So Daniel, as a high-producing agent for the United States of Columbus, went on with Michelle on an incentive trip. And the agents, unlike secular insurance agents who would go to Acapulco or the Bahamas or something, they chose for their incentive trip to go to Fatima. When they were at Fatima, the reading that day was the Roman official coming to Jesus and asking for his child to be healed. And Jesus replies, go in peace, your child is healed. And Daniel and, and Michelle at Mass looked at one another, and Michelle said later she felt like a veil was being lifted from her womb, that something had happened inside her. And when they got back to Tennessee and went to the doctor four days later, there was a doctor who hadn't seen them yet. It was like part of the practice. And the doctor said, well, you know, this looks like a perfectly normal checkup. I mean, as you know, your child has Down syndrome. I assume you're okay with that. Yes, yes, doctor. But what about the fetal high drops? Oh. Fetal hydrops. Oh, are you the... Oh, okay. And then she said, I better call in the doctor who's dealt with you before. And they did a more extensive ultrasound and showed the same. He was healed. The child was healed. 
And they had prayed throughout for Father McGivney, and Daniel emailed all his agents under him to pray to Father McGivney when they first got this diagnosis. And Michelle, as part of a homeschooling group, she'd emailed all her mothers, prayed to Father McGivney, explaining the situation. And in fact, Daniel had promised after they got this diagnosis that if the child did live and was healed, that they would name him after Father McGivney and the child was born, Michael McGivney Shackle. Now the child is five years old, active, healthy. And this is the third miracle or proposed miracle that had gone to the Vatican. We had two before this, which we thought were pretty sure things. But in a way, it taught us that intercession is, is something at a very high level to call something a miracle. And through the intercession of Father McGivney, and it also shows that this is not just something the Vatican rubber stamps. Right. I think people assume like, oh, you're the Knights of Columbus. They'll just do this for you. No, <laughs> they turned us away twice yeah. with almost no explanation. Well, when I first heard about the date was set of October 31st, I, the first thing that came to me is we in the state of Indiana, because that's you know where I live, we really need to make sure this moment doesn't pass us by without celebrating it with as much joy as we can. Because we don't know when the Lord will choose to give us a sign of his eternal communion with God for his canonization. It may happen in our lifetimes and it might not. Yeah, it might not. And I think it's an occasion for prayer that is lifted up. St. Paul, I guess, says pray constantly. And you always wonder, how can you fulfill that? Well, to me, it's just like during the day, just lifting heart and mind and say, Lord, help me, or Father McGivney, be with me, things like that, constant kind of awareness that everything comes from God. And, you know, thank God we have intercessors as well, like Father McGivney, to give us that charism of his priesthood and his respect for the laity. This is something that we hope to highlight at his beatification, is Father McGivney was way ahead of his time as far as empowering the laity. He shepherded a largely immigrant population, and he said, we have to form an organization that will help promote the faith, help families keep close to the faith, and also to protect widows and orphans when the breadwinner dies a young death, as they too often did in that day, because the Irish immigrants worked the mines, the factories. So in that day, some Catholic men, in order to get ahead, were joining the secret societies, the Masons and other secret societies, which had their own benefit societies. And Father McGivney said, well, we need to form a fraternal benefit society that will give equal, if not better benefits, plus, and he trusted the, the layman to do it. I mean, at the, at the first meeting, they wanted to make Father McGivney the Supreme Knight. And he said, no, no, that's not my role. And they said, all right, well, at least be the secretary because we need someone very organized to get us off the ground. But after two years, Father McGivney said, okay, I'm stepping down as Supreme Secretary I'll become Supreme Chaplain. Uh, that's more in keeping with my ordination and my role that I should be playing in this organization. And that same year, he was sent as pastor 25 miles away, which was a big distance in those days. He left his nights in New Haven and said, keep it going. If you need me, call me. And I'm not an expert on Father McGivney, but I would think if Father was talking with us right now, he would be very happy about the way that our order is continuing to develop, it's continuing to expand its mission, and to always, always keep Christ at the heart of everything that we do. Yeah. Thank you, Brian, again. And God's blessings to you and your family. Oh, thank you. Yes, please pray for my two boys, Stephen and Justin. May God have mercy on them, and the Blessed Mother and Father McGivney intercede for them. 
Night Vision is a presentation of the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus and Catholic Radio Indy. Contributors for this episode include Scott Schutte, Walt Teha, David Negret, and Bob Zielinski. Night Vision is produced by Z Media Studios in South Bend, Indiana.